Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. Thank you for joining us wherever you are around Australia or around the world. Your continued support means the world as we continue to bring you interviews and golf information from around the world with people who love golf about their golf. Joining us this week, we have two special guests. Our first guest is the tournament director of the 2023 Asian Tour School Stage 1 Australian Qualifying Event. It's David Blake, or we know him as Blakey from Golf Rules Questions. Also joining us is one of Melbourne's most talented golfing tattooists from Thornbury's Blackmark Tattoo Studio. Yes, he's a big part of the M-Log faithful. It's the one and only Dan Maudsley. Both Blakey and Dan are fighting for the highly sought after Teeps of title with only four PGA Tour events to go. So we've brought them together this week to face off both on the golf course and in the tipping stakes on the podcast. Of course, Scott Carter is on board to co-host as we run through the week that was in the world of tournament golf and the week ahead. It's a jam-packed show with a fair bit going on. So sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast for this week. Thanks for coming back. Scott Carter, uh, how are you, Scott? You well? Good to be back, Roscoe. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thank you, mate. Very, how are you? Very, good? Very good, very good. Appreciating your uh, stewardship on the uh, co-host duties and your willingness to return. Um, you know, the, the lucrative contract that we haven't signed yet uh, and the, all the dangling of the carrot still must be working some way. It's all on a promise, mate. It's all on a promise. It's you know, okay. I trust you. You know, that doesn't that doesn't Callaway Chrome Softs that I've pro- promised you. <laughs> uh, now, I said gentlemen because uh, it's Scott, you and I are here, and uh, also Blakey uh, returns to the podcast for his umpteenth visit. Uh, Blakey, welcome back to the My Love of God podcast. How are you, champion? Uh, very good, Rusko. Thank you for the invitation to get me on. Yep, thanks yeah, for the lots about, to talk about. Yeah, well, thanks for about the eight hours notice um, and for accepting the invitation. Uh, appreciate that as always. Um, you know, timeliness is a, a very important thing, and um, you're always there, Dave. You've got a lot of stuff to talk about, and we're going to start talking uh, with you. But we do have another guest joining us. Uh, he's not here right now. He was here. We sent him back to finish his indoor golf. Uh, round of golf at Big Swing Golf Preston, where he and his team of tattooists, and I think might be a golf pro, are currently um, fighting it out for the league title uh, at Big Swing Golf Preston in their quarterly league. Um, Dan Maudsley, you've heard us talk about Dan Maudsley over the journey. He has um, put Scott Carter uh, sitting right below me on this Zoom link uh, through some immense amount of pain to give him a permanent reminder of his time in Oregon uh, on his uh, left or right calf. I can't remember. Well, Dan right Morsley, calf. Yeah. right calf. Dan Morsley is one of Melbourne's great tattooists, also one of Melbourne's great golfers, and also when he joins us, the top three of uh, the Mile of Golf Teepster uh, team will be here as we get to oh, the very, live uh, on the call. Live on the call. Three of us fighting it out for Teepster uh, Supremacy with four rounds to go. So we've got this week's Wyndham Championship and then the uh, the Tour Finals, I guess you could say. Um, so there's four more rounds. So it's all going to come down to the pointy end. I think, uh, anyway, we'll talk about that later when Dan Maudsley joins us back. And he's also going to give us a bit of insight into the dark arts of tattooing. Well, it's not so dark arts, the creative arts, but I think uh, some people think it's a dark world that the tattooists live in. Well, Dan Maudsley is here to prove that he is the most clean-cut guy and one of the most talented tattooists in the world. So if you want to know about more about tattooing, Doing. Stick around for Dan Morsey when he joins. Blakey. Sorry, that was – I've had a coffee. It's late. So I've Roscoe, had a, Roscoe, did, did you say that he's uh, he's fighting it out for the championship? Is this the final no, or I the quarterfinal, did no, you say? I actually don't think it's the final. He's fighting it out 
in one of the rounds, which oh, okay. leads Got to it. the yeah. Big Swing Golf Preston League Tour title. I think it coincides Good. with the end of the PGA Tour. You know, he's, he's won one round out of the Tour Championships. Let's just call it that. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, Dougie Barwick, um, Tasman- the big bustling Tasmanian former Collingwood Premiership player who is the uh, fellow franchisee, I guess you could say, of uh, – Drum, a drummer golf store. He is, is the Preston man. Go out there and say good day to Doug Barwick, if, especially if you're a Pies fan. Um, go and commiserate with him after last Friday night's loss to the Mighty Blues, you beauty. Uh, Blakey, big, big week for you um, because you played golf yesterday with Scott. I'll be interested to know how, uh, and also Dan. So that was part of this whole week of um, you know setting this up. Um, so I'll be interested to know how you went with your golf um, back at Spring Valley where you, you used to be the director of operations. But you've got a new director's title that I'm quite keen to explore, Blakey, the tournament director title. How did you go from director of golf at one of Melbourne Sandbelt golf courses to tournament director and what are you the tournament director of? Uh, yes, I'm a tournament director of the stage one of qualifying school for the Asian Tour 2024. Uh, so being that I've been doing some tournaments with the Asian Tour, mainly the International Series, which is um, backed by Live Golf, backed by the PIF, talking to them about getting Q School, since we have a lot of Australians go and play in the Asian Tour, uh, talking to them about getting Q School down to Australia, which in my mind I thought was the first time ever and it was going to be amazing. And then uh, we released the the press release and uh, and I said, well, first time in Australia, this is fantastic. And they said, I actually, it's the second. It was uh, it was at Cranbourne and Amp Store in two thousand seven. Okay, well, you know, you you weren't around back then. Yeah, you were just a young fella back then, so you can be excused for forgetting about the uh, first time. Uh, probably wasn't as big as it's going to be the second time. So tell us, how did it come about? How did you get involved? Obviously. Obviously, we know how you got involved through your work with the Asian Tour, but was it something that uh, the Asian Tour pushed down to you and said, hey, we think we want to come back to Australia or we want to have this event in Australia? Or was it you saying, hey, I think we should have an event down here and and I'm happy to stick my hand up and and get it off the ground? Yeah, it was mainly me, um, but they are looking at, you know, all realms of the, um, all all continents that are on this earth. they went to the USA for the first time ever last year, and that was really successful. Uh, so there are, you know, a lot of uh, Americans and Australians who do play on the uh, the Asian Tour at the moment. So why not have a stage one in those countries and uh, and feed through to this uh, this golfing mecca in, in in Asia? And you know, the Asian Tour now with the international series doesn't just play in that. Southeast um, subcontinent type area. Uh, we also, in two weeks' time, will be going to England, and three weeks' time, we'll be going to Scotland. Uh, so, you know, and we've, we've played a, a fair bit in the Middle East as well. So we've branched out from just being in that uh, in that Asian region. And I just went to them and said, Look, you did it in USA. How'd you do it? They said, uh, you know, we contracted someone out to to look after it for us. I said, "Well, I'm close enough with you guys. I'm pretty sure I've known how to, know how to run a golf tournament, set up operations. It's only uh, stage one qualifying school. Um, not to talk it down, but 
you know, it's it's there's no big operation build. I won't have uh, grandstands. I won't have marquees on the back of the 18th. It's basically just looking after the players, making sure they register properly and play the best golf that they can to try and get into that stage two. And stage two in January will be in Thailand. Do you have any recollection or idea how many Australians uh, had to go through stage one in the previous year you know, to get to that final stage in Thailand? Obviously, we had uh, Tom Power Horn, as we've discussed numerous times, who qualified in that ninth spot in that nine-way playoff or that – sorry, I'm not sure what spot it was, 30th spot or whatever it was, but in that nine-way playoff, I know that much. Um, Jack uh, Thompson qualified – who won the event – how many players went through the qualification series to you know, try and get into that final stage previously? Oh, that's a question that I don't actually have an answer for. I haven't uh, looked into that, but I can tell you that just playing in the Indonesian or the Madeira uh, Open this week on the Asian Tour, you know, there's about six or seven Australians playing there. So it's a it's a tour that you know the Australian it sort of works around the winter season of the Australian Australasian PGA. And so, you know, when the Australasian starts up in October, um, the Asian tour is sort of nearly almost done for the year. So they sort of work well together if you want to be that full-time professional golfer, basically. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've got to remind myself that, you know, talking about Tommy Power Hoare and, you know, his Asian tour card has been this year. So, you know, he's, going up there to Asia to play this weekend. Um, You know, so his talk season from last year's qualification in that playoff is coming to an end. Um, I'm not sure where he's positioned in terms of maintaining a a category for next year or not. But um, I can only imagine, back to my question, that there were a chunk of Australians that travelled to, you know, wherever the previous qualification rounds were. Uh, So it's a massive win for the young up-and-coming professionals here in Melbourne, Sydney and all other parts of Australia that want to uh, gain access to that potentially final stage. How many spots have you got on offer for um, qualification into final stage? We're looking at 72. Uh, Whether we get to 72 or not, we'll just have to wait and see. But, yeah, it's a huge opportunity. It's in that last week of September. uh, So players can uh, hopefully have got themselves tuned over winter and can go and have a real crack at it and then try and get into that stage stage two in Thailand. And how many go from stage one to stage two? How many spots have you got here at, uh, in Melbourne? If, if we have 72 players playing, uh, we have around 10 to 13 spots. Uh, it all gets worked out, um, you know, once they start getting their entries for all the tournaments. Uh, I know the USA one last year was packed, uh, so they'll, they'll definitely get their high their max allocation of spots and hopefully uh australia will will have the same it, it is a little bit earlier on uh there will still be a lot of golfers um that are still playing on tour and still trying to make sure that they've got a card for next year so this qualifying school will sort of target really quite new uh, professionals that are trying to get on on the Asian tour. And what's the interest been like so far since the announcement uh, came out a couple of weeks ago that uh, Mount Derham was going to be the host of the uh, qualification stage one for Asian tour? Yeah, interest has been great. The uh, the uh, entries open this Sunday, uh, the 7th, 
but yeah, there's been a bit of a buzz around. Obviously, it's taken a few by surprise. It already had their year uh, planned out, uh, but there still is some interest. And as I said, it'll be for a lot of the new uh, up-and-coming young pros in Australia and, and, you know, just getting it started after after COVID. They have so many opportunities over here. You know, we, we although it might feel at the moment that we're not friendly with everyone else um, because you had to, in the last year, apparently you had to pick a side. Uh, but there are now, you know, we try and work with as many other of the other tours as possible. There are so many opportunities for especially young Australian golfers um, you know, the, the Australasian tour is back up and running and, and almost a, a full fifth or uh, nine weeks in a row. I think there's one one week break in there um, in their first half. So that's from October to December. And then uh, they'll release their February through to April, May um, uh, schedule closer to sort of November, December. Uh, but you've got the... Australasian tour and then also as the European tour did last year they had a qualifying school here and that happens in August so plenty of opportunity for young golfers to get on a tour that you can make a lot of money on I mean if you like Jack say Jack Thompson he, he actually won second stage and so he got a great category that got him into uh, in the first half of the year into about five tournaments with 1.5 million US and uh, and that's nothing to, sne- uh, to sneeze at. So great opportunity to, m- to make some money if, you, if your game is where you want it to be. And I guess final question just on um, the uh, Q School there that uh, is going to be held at Mount Derriman and I'm sure that we'll get to be a bit closer to it as it unfolds. But um, how did you end up being at Mount Derriman, which is in, for those of you around Australia, uh, if you saw um, Paul Gow's golf show on the weekend on Fox Sports, if you get that, he was at Mount Derriman there. Uh, it's a course in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, in the western suburbs, northwestern suburbs, I guess. A uh, fair bit of history uh, in terms of the club. It's on a newish part of the land, maybe about 15 years old. Um, you know, you can see the city from many of the holes. How did you end up out there? Yeah, interesting. Uh, when I sort of talked to the Asian tour about uh, hosting one, you know, we were sort of umming and ahhing and by then, you know, it was, I was starting to look around, around March, April, and a lot of clubs already had uh, their schedules already done for, for the year. Uh, so, you know, when you're looking at a course, uh, there can be slim pickings if you don't get in there early enough. In saying that, uh, Mount Dermot has fantastic facilities and it's close to the airport, it's close to the city, uh, and they were available and ready and willing to to host a tournament. Uh, you know, they're, they're happy to work with us on, on what needs to be done, and they're celebrating 100 years. Um, it's obviously, as you said, it's on a new site. Um, yeah, I think you're right, about 15 or 16 years they've been on this new site. It used to be... Oh, it's uh, the Sunshine Golf Club, and now they just recently, in the last three or four years, changed their name to Mount Derrimut uh, Golf Club, representing the actual suburb that their course is located within. So it's obviously you've been out there, you've played it. It's certainly up to a um, tournament qualification uh, standards, right? Lengthwise, is there anything that had to tick the boxes? You know, we get 
so uh, used to, well, not so used to, but, you know, we hear the stories when uh, the President's Cup comes to Melbourne, uh, the PGA Tour come out here and they have many scouting rounds, they want tees pushed back, all that sort of stuff. You know, is there a version of that that you had to put the course through or check out with the course in order for them to be able to host the, uh, the, um, the standard? No, there wasn't any uh, checklist like that that I put through the course. Uh, it was more a case of just working with the guys um, and Cruz, the manager there, and Simon Cochran is the uh, superintendent. And I just said, you know, because it can get quite windy there, especially in September. Um, so hopefully that means it'll be it'll be dry enough. There, Craig Perry um, designed the course, and the layout is is pretty nice, um, especially um, looking back over to to the city. Uh, on the hill uh, but the greens probably the hardest thing is the, the greens don't have a lot of level spots so finding uh, four tournament hole locations might be a little bit difficult uh, but I just said to, to Simon don't don't go stupid with the uh, with the pace of the greens we don't need to be you know trying to make these guys play an open championship or anything like that um, if their score is 24 under no one no one's going to care uh, if it's if it's 15, if it's 12, it, it's not really going to matter too much. Uh, it is a short course, so I am expecting uh, quite a, a low score. But again, if the wind gets up, um, which it can whip over that hill, uh, you know, suddenly suddenly your 24 under turns into nine under, um, and you're just making basically in making sure that the course doesn't we don't lose the course you know uh, with the greens being uh, quite nifty on the hills and and slick uh, it's, it wouldn't take long uh, for a 30 40k wind to start moving those balls on the green and you know that's not what we want we we want it to be a fair test uh, and the best players on the on the four days the most consistent players over the four days uh, we'll get their ticket through to Q School uh, uh, Stage 2. Blackie, thanks for that summary. Speaking of tickets, um, Scott, have we got that contract ready for the official media outlet for Asian Tour School uh, Melbourne um, Stage 1? Have we got that contract signed off yet? Oh, no, st still working on it, Roscoe. Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, get that on your desk on uh, maybe next Monday okay. week or something. Yeah, no, still working on it, mate. Uh, if anyone wants tickets to go out there, um, speak to speak to us. Yeah, we can organise that to uh, the uh, event. Now, Blakey, in all seriousness, um, well done to you. Uh, I know you put your heart and soul into the game of golf and uh, especially the discipline that you operate in, uh, refereeing tournaments and the experience that you've had working with uh, Live Golf this year, plus all the other stuff that you've done in your prior years is... Um, is uh, holding you in uh, great stead and giving you these great opportunities. So um, I'm sure it will go well, and I'm sure we look forward to talking about it even more so as we get closer and be very keen to know who's interest, uh, who's entering and to seeing uh, what sort of feel we end up uh, with. Now, uh, Dan Wardsley has joined us. We Dan, we've already introduced you. We introduced you and said that you are off finishing off your – um, qualification, talking about qualification, uh, qualification round <laughs> at, the, at the Big Swing Golf uh, Preston uh, annual um, or quarterly um, league. I'm not sure. Yes. Is, is there three rounds to go just like the uh, PGA Tour, something like that? I think uh, there might be four, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, four, thank you. Four rounds just like How'd the you go today, round. Dan? How'd you go today? Uh, we were 17 under off the stick. Oh. As a, as a group? Um, yeah, I didn't. 
perform particularly well, but the rest of the guys got it done and I sunk enough putts to keep my name in the list. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, mate. It's your first time. Thank you. Know, you. It long, is. Long time, long time listener, first time uh, participant. Uh, it feels like you participated before because we've certainly talked about you. That uh... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the name has been mentioned a few times. Thank uh, you, by uh, the way. That's, uh, that's lovely of you. Talking about being the media outlet for, um, you know, we should be we should be on commission for the uh, Black Mark Tattoo uh, in Thornton, Thornbury there. Um, yeah. Now, welcome, as I said. Let's let's talk about you because you know I introduced the fact that you've um, tattooed young Scott that sits beside me here. Um, I have indeed. Yep. And you know I sort of said you know you're going to enlighten us a little bit about the dark arts of tattoo. Now it's not dark arts; it's very creative space. But I think a lot of people still maybe it's changing, but people have this mystery or the air of not sure about the world of uh, tattoo and um, and the business of tattoo. And and I, I guess, you know, we should, while we've got you, explain, you know, your position and, and your perception and, and how you view the world of tattoo, because I'm sure that there are many tattooed golfers out there, all like me, um, people who talk about tattoo all the time, but never <laughs> actually go through with it. We will get you in there one day. It's probably not quite uh, a good idea that I'm sitting in the dark and we're talking about the dark arts tattoos. It's probably um, not a good look really, but... You are in your, uh, <laughs> you are in your own mobile podcast, you know, I, your I, car, I am indeed. Because you're sitting outside of Big Swing Golf Preston. So, um, yes. Yeah, that's you're on the on the phone audio. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you'll uh, talk to us. To give me something. But, talk uh, to us about the world yes. of tattoo. Um, tattooing. Uh, yeah, you are right. There still comes with a little bit of a, I guess, a, a darkish stigma. There is... Uh, it is a wide, wide, wide world. Um, I spoke to Blakey a little bit about it yesterday. We we're just talking, you know, having a chat about, um, you know, the most obscure tattoos you've ever done and things like that. And there is, there's kind of, there's a couple of different worlds of tattooing, uh, for sure. There's kind of the, what I like to refer to as the, the Pinterest style tattooing, which is, um, you know, the very, uh, commercial side of tattooing. It's, it's almost a bit of a popularity contest. Um, it's, very much about, to me, you know, without, well, I don't want to uh, offend any other fellow tattooists that might be listening out there, but um, there's very much a bit of a popularity contest with tattooing. I mean, tattooing can give you the opportunity to travel the world, um, work at conventions, work at other studios. Uh, you know, these days, this day and age, you know, it's, it's TV, it's, you know, sponsorships, it's um, almost... I mean, it's not a professional sport, but in terms of there being a, a list of, of calibers, you've definitely got um, people right at the top and then people, you know, further down aiming to get to the top. You've got the more popular ones that have, you know, big social media followings and uh, then you've got the people that are more aimed at the art and then you've got people that that's kind of split up as well. I mean, uh, so interpretive, right? So you've got people that are more into the body modification side of things and, uh, which is a little bit these days more on the, I guess the the darker side, the the side that a lot probably the most people that have some perceptions about the tattooing world seem to think that it's probably more on that side, you know, the dark, dingy, late night tattoo studios, you know, um, which I've, you've probably, I think you've seen the photos of our studios. It's probably um, 
no, the furthest from. It's far from. Um, it's far from that. We're talking about uh, you know the state of the art, most um, elaborate coffee machines and multiples of them. A bar downstairs and a beautiful studio upstairs in uh, in a very nice suburb of Melbourne. So it's uh, high end, and you know, certainly you've you've got your colleagues there, and, and Mick being one of them, who you, you know has has he doesn't crave that celebrity but you know i would see no. mick mick is a standout in the world globally sought after um for his craftsmanship um and yeah. you and you're getting there and you've worked with some other guys in uh, i forget their names but some of the other guys in the studio there that certainly on that global style you know uh, global scale you mentioned their name and if anyone knows anything about the world of tattoo you know they stand out and go oh wow you know someone who works with that guy that's unbelievable sort of thing yeah yeah i mean we um certainly don't seek celebrity at our shop it's not something that um we all go out looking for but the shop does have a excellent reputation um well before i started there the shop's been there nine years now um i came on board about six years ago um then we obviously um just recently opened up downstairs which is something that i've sort of maybe, uh, become a partner in which is pretty exciting for me on a personal level to be able to sort of become part of the legacy that is our, our shop. But, um, Mick is, yeah, Mick's very much a, uh, he's a, he's very much a pioneer of, uh, especially color realism tattooing and realism tattooing as a whole in, um, in Australia. He spent a lot of time in his younger years traveling around the world, just picking up as much as, as much knowledge as he could and just learning and, you know, doing, doing things that no one in Australia had ever done before. Um, so he's definitely someone I'd always looked up to. Um, he's we're, we're the same age actually, but um, he's been tattooing oh, about five or six years longer than I have. Um, so he's definitely someone who I've looked up to uh, for my my whole career. So to be able to work alongside him as a um, you know as a tattooist for the last six years has been great. And now to be able to call him a, a business partner is even more special. So it's um. Yeah, we've got a great list of guys. We're growing exponentially. We've gone from nine to 15 in about four months with the opening of the new shop and, uh, yeah, the coffee bar and everything. It's um, very exciting. Um, yeah. Dan, Dan, when you um, you mentioned that you go um, around conferences and speaking and stuff, what, what do you sort of that, – that's true, right? And, and when you do that, where, where do you um, – or what do you talk about? What's the sort of your, your specialty, I guess? Yes, so uh, in the in the tattoo industry, they're they're known as either expos or, or conventions, which is, I mean, it's pretty common in most industries. Um, and you tattoo at them. You um, might get together with the guys from your studio, and you you're putting your studio on display for any amount of people to come past and watch you do your thing. Um, that can involve. Uh, running perhaps a seminar for other artists. Um, so you'll sit down and you actually either um, do a tattoo on the spot while discussing what you do and how you go about what you do. There's a lot of, you know, without getting into too many technicalities, a lot of different needle combinations that do different things, different textures, different um, – you can do different things with each which, each needle. So – you might go through color theory and more of the art side of things and how you go about breaking down your tattoo. And you might do that live on stage. You might do that um, in more of a closed knit group um, to 30, 40 people. It might be in front of a thousand people. It just depends on uh, 
which particular convention you're at. Um, and that also means, you know, tattooing uh, at any convention I go to, uh, I tattoo at. Um, if you if you're lucky, you get to get to be a judge or something like that as well, and judge everybody else's work for the awards over the weekend. Um, something Mick and some of my other business partners and other other guys at the shop have had an opportunity to do quite a bit of. I've only just come into that that side of things. I've only done that recently, which is another another pretty cool thing to be asked to sort of judge. You know the work of your peers, and you you know that they respect your opinion, which is pretty nice because I'm a um, We've got a pretty bad case at times of having a sort of imposter syndrome when it comes to tattooing, um, sort of, which is a tough thing to balance. But uh, it's sort of, yeah, conventions are, are great fun. It's sort of, um, it's our it's our live performance. It's our sporting event. It's um, you know, sort a lot of the time for a lot of people is what they work for is to go out there and put their work on display in front of you know potentially ten to twenty, even thirty thousand people at some of these huge uh, international expos. So to put your work on display in front of them is is pretty special. Dan, um part of my fascination with the work that you do and you know, I haven't experienced the work you do, obviously, and I've seen it with Scott, but part of my fascination comes from being, you know, having a, a creative background, you know, a creative side, you know, you know, I like to take photos and all that sort of stuff, but I started doodling and drawing golf courses and all that sort of stuff and and I don't mind drawing and that sort of thing um how did you get into the craft of the skill the trade of tattoo because I know you didn't come from you know you come from a trade background and many of your colleagues you know like Mick's background is interesting where did you come from how did you get into it my background is is a little is a little all over the place to be honest I didn't get to tattooing till uh much later compared to a lot of other people I'll keep the story as short as I can because it is a little bit stop-start. But um, I finished high school and uh, went straight to university and did a science degree. Uh, from there, I worked in the industry for about six months and it just – the uh, the university degree was phenomenal. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Uh, the, the workforce was a little bit different. I just felt like I um, couldn't really – um, I don't know the right, right word to to say, but I just I just didn't feel like it was very specific. Once you get into the industry, you're only doing one or two jobs, whereas you learnt to do about thirty. Um, so I got a little I don't want to say bored, but I just got a little bit mm, a bit stagnant pretty quick. So I went and did a trade, uh, became a commercial glazier, and did that for a long time, and that took me to Brisbane, where I actually went into a studio. I was looking at tattoo studios to, to get a little tattoo done to sort of celebrate the big move and, you know, the next chapter of life and all, all those things. And uh, always done art myself as a, as a hobby. My dad always painted and always you know, did a lot of um, ink dot drawings and all sorts of things. So art was always something that, you know, I just did in my spare time. I enjoyed it. Did it in high school. It's a bit of fun. Um so when I came up with this idea for this tattoo, I drew it up myself just for a bit of fun to give them a better idea of what I wanted. Uh, took it into the studio, went to a couple other studios, didn't really like the the studios that much. They were a little bit getting back to what we are talking about before, a little bit dark, a little bit dingy, a little bit kind of, you know, back in the, let's say, probably the shops that you'd walk into in the early 80s instead of, you know, 2004 at the time. Um and showed them my artwork and they actually 
were just so happened, and it was literally no more than this, it's sheer luck that they were looking for an apprentice at the time. The studio had got pretty busy and um, they were sort of, you know, just on the hunt and hadn't come across anyone and I bought some artwork in and they really loved it and they gave me a few pointers and at the time I took them as took it as them being a bit lazy. I thought they just didn't really want to do the do the tattoo and they sort of sent me away going, oh, go and make these changes and you bring them back and it looks good, we'll, we'll do the tattoo, which is pretty funny when I think about it now. But um, at the time, I was sort of like, oh, well, they, they don't want to do it. they got no interest. Um, but, yeah, I got a little bit sort of, I think getting annoyed at that gave me the, the push about a couple of weeks later to sort of go, oh, you know what, stuff them. I'm going to take take this in and make it look better than anything we've ever seen before. So I uh, I don't know if it was better than anything they've seen before, but I uh, sort of redid it all, did exactly what they asked, took it back in, and they offered me a, a job. Um, not as a apprentice tattooist, but as a, um, you know, shop manager of sorts. So I'd go in there after I worked full time in, in my, uh, trade job and go in there, you know, evenings and weekends and did that for a few months. And I think they were just sort of making sure I was the right fit. And then they offered me my, uh, my apprenticeship and we went from there. So that was in 2000 and six ish um and did a nearly two years apprenticing under them and i ended up moving back to victoria and uh because i moved back to victoria because tattooing can be a little uh some towns um can be a little more who you know what you know rather than what you know i sort of landed landed back into a smaller smaller town didn't have a client base had only just finished my apprenticeship and I'd sort of made myself almost unhirable because I didn't have enough experience or, or uh, client base, which at the end of the day, they're all running businesses. So a client base to a tattoo studio is obviously pretty important. Um, so I got a little bit put off by it all for a little while and I didn't tattoo for quite some time. And you, know, you just sort of, once you've started on down that journey, I just kept getting the, the desire and the drive to go back and do it. So I got myself a... Uh, part-time job doing walk-ins on weekends at a, at a shop. And uh, that almost got to a point where it kind of got in the way as well. I was continuing to work full-time, still as a tradesman. And in the end, to, to cut a long story short, I, I uh, took a gamble and said, okay, I'm either tattooing or I'm or I'm not tattooing. It's, it's got to a point where it's either a hindrance or it's not. So uh, I'm not going to do it at all if I can't get a job in it. And I took myself to Melbourne, um, applied for a couple of jobs, managed to land myself in a in a studio and sort of quit the trade straight then and there with no client base and, you know, never worked in Melbourne, didn't know anyone in Melbourne. I was living you know, an hour away and travelling down the highway every day and just threw myself in there and we are coming up on... 10 years in September that I took that move and it's the best move I've ever made. So. Well, I've seen a lot of your work and a lot of the people that you have worked on and, you know, there's some heard about a lot of the people that you've worked on, you know, you guys get some very, very uh, big names through the studio. It's amazing to think who just does, um, yeah, seek you guys out. But there's one thing that you all, well, not you all, but uh, a lot of you in the studio have in common and annually, I think you still play for the green jacket and you all, love golf and pretty passionate and i think mix the you know started that and you followed on and you know a few other the other of the uh, gang have followed on 
Um, what is it about golf that uh, you know gets you guys going? Um, I, I don't know about Mick. I think Mick, Mick, if and you know him um, as as well as I do, that he does everything at five hundred percent. And if he doesn't know how to do it, he'll do it until he does know how to do it five hundred percent. And I think we all know with golf, it's pretty much not possible. Um, so for him and for me too, it, it's the almost the thrill of the chase. Uh, it's almost like you know the surfer chasing the wave. We chase chase uh, the white ball. Great golf shots, basically. <laughs> yeah, we chase a white ball around. Um, I have always been a big lover of golf, but was a little bit timid. And a bit sort of scared to uh, get into it when I was a young fella. I would only play with with uh, my mates in the country club. I grew up, you know, when I say country club, it's a country course. Sorry, it's probably a better way of putting it. Uh, I grew up in a small town of Maryborough, Victoria. Um, not a whole lot to do there, but one thing um, a lot of us do is play a lot of sport. Um, a lot of been some NBA players and a lot of AFL, AFL players come out of. Uh, such a small little town. Um, so we used to go across anyway and uh, have a hit of golf. I played right-handed, even though I'm a left-hander because I had no clubs of my own. So now I continue to play golf right-handed and uh, sort of played on and off myself for years. always had the desire to do it, but no one else that I really knew was really into it that much. They were sort of stop, start, stop, start. So then I was stop, start, stop, start. No lessons or anything like that. I didn't have a single lesson until about the time I met you, I think, actually. It was, um, yeah, when I first started having my, my first lessons there with uh, with Chris. And, uh, yeah, it um, Mick, Mick was the reason I got into it because he'd already got the bug by then. So it just gave – all I needed was a, an excuse, an excuse to start. Um, and within less than six months of starting at, at the studio, I'd – you know, come in, I'd seen you, I was kitted out with, you know, the whole package and uh, I haven't stopped since. It's um, It's been a, one of the best things I could have ever picked up. Uh, well, it's a joy every time I get to uh, talk to you and Mick about golf and uh, and your other colleagues and, and even in the industry, you know, Josh Westwick, uh, who tattoos over in the um, west of Melbourne, um, yes, I know Josh. Yeah, phen- phenomenal artist as well, and phenomenal golfer. And you know, what's his yep. rise and rise? He was like a fifteen handicap when he first came in, and now he's like playing off two. And uh, yeah, it's we, yeah, maybe Blakey could host a uh, Melbourne tattoo, um, you know, tournament. Maybe he could, you know, tournament direct uh, something like that as well. I think that's a good idea. You know, we can get all your cohort in there and put a tournament on out at Merritt Derriman as a prelude to the uh, Asian Tour School. Hey, um, that sounds like a good go. Well, we we almost did that yesterday, Roscoe. We had uh, so Blakey was definitely. Well, I don't know, Blakey. Do you have any tattoos? I think there was a little bit of ink showing yesterday on everyone else, but you, no, no, I, I don't. Although I did think about it while I was digging some holes in the garden today, and I thought, oh, maybe I could get my uh, my Rue or my Wombat Golf um, Wombat Hills go. Golf Club on there. Uh, Might have found something. So we could take care of that go. for you. Absolutely, yeah. we can take Come care of that right place. Well, uh, Roscoe should definitely get the coup. <laughs> he needs to, absolutely. Massive uh, coup on his chest. 
Oh, that's a Highland cow. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what a coo is, a Highland cow, and, and it's a very favourite animal, animal of mine. Um, you can check that out on ross.flanagan.golf. It's my little Instagram moniker. Uh, we've talked about that before, uh, Dan, and, and you know, who knows? Yeah, Maybe I might have one of those life-altering, life-changing events that might uh, lead me down the path, just like uh, Scott did when he you know, left left uh, one country and well, moved to I another mean, country. Well, I mean, to be fair, Roscoe, it was uh, my first one when I was drunk in the cross. Um, in the mid nineties, oh, and I walked in into one of those. Uh, one what you, you probably could have been mistaken for a bikey clubhouse. That was a tattoo parlor. Uh, Scott, <laughs> question question for you on the work that Dan did. Um, you know, did it? What was the process for you to think about the uh, design of the ghost tree from uh, Bandon Dunes on your uh, right calf? Uh, well, I mean, I've always liked that particular tree and um, it's a pretty iconic tree in golf and uh, it's a very iconic tree for that piece of property, um, you know, which I think I spoke about before, like it was a pretty, it's a pretty amazing place and, and I uh, certainly loved my time there and yeah, a pretty special place, I guess, in, you know, my, my timeline, I guess. And um, I love that there's not a lot of like detail, like it's a ghost tree, it's a dead tree. It's pretty simple, but then, but Dan was able to capture a ton of detail in um, uh, in, in the tree, and 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 so I love the work that he did. But yeah, that particular tree, I felt like that's going to sit well. You know, I wanted to get one on my leg, um, and that that was that ticked a few boxes: golf, Oregon, Band of Dunes, um, that time. In, in my life so it was all pretty uh it all ticked the boxes and thought that was going to sit pretty well on the calf and yeah dan helped me get it uh, all positioned and and kind of put the hill in the background and you know i i, I thought it was just going to be just the tree but when dan took a look took a look at the images that i'd provided he gave some great guidance on hey let's put the hill on and we can put a bit of detail and then it doesn't just look like a, a stick on you know on the back of your leg and um and it's got some kind of depth to it so so yeah we just went back and forth on email and uh and then in the studio for an hour before and just kind of work through positioning and size and everything and um yeah couldn't be happier with how it's come up to be honest uh dan a fairly topical question you know i'm a member of a golf course um at once upon a time, we had a fairly stringent, uh, very, or not a fairly stringent, a very stringent no tattoo policy. So, you know, a couple of my AFL playing uh, friends that were members at the golf course at the time, uh, Dennis Armfield, who was like my first ever guest on the podcast, uh, Zach Tui, who now is in Geelong, yep. fairly well-known tattooed AFL uh, performers. Um, they came to the golf club, which they joined and paid money to join, had to cover their tattoos. Now, the policy at my particular golf course, I think everyone knows where it is, has relaxed somewhat over the journey. And I know a little bit of the discussions that went on about the relaxation of that as golf changed and the membership base changed. We had more younger people and, and more people wanting to play golf at the course that had tattoos. And I was, um, I remember the time when I wore my Celtic sleeves. I was playing with the president, who was a friend of mine, and he was, I pulled my, um, my playing top off uh, when he wasn't watching and Underneath, I had my short sleeves and my arm sleeves, which was like a Celtic design. They were sun sleeves, and I turned around and said, "So, tell me, what's the difference here? Why can't I? Why? Why can't I play with tattoos when I can play with these things and they look like I'm tattooed? What's the difference?" He said, "Yep, you're right." So, and I wore them into the clubhouse, and you know, at the time, this is when we were very strict. I got some very awkward, you know, odd looks. Now, the policy now is 
relaxed a little bit it, and it, it had this interim stage where it was like well tattoos are okay as long as there's one or two and they're not joined now i don't know what one or two or not joined actually means but once it became that like everyone just turned up what's your thoughts on you know rules like that and you know how have you seen attitudes evolve well I, I, you and i have spoken about this a little bit um i, I think with you you know probably agree that uh it, doesn't shape who you are as a person. I think that we can all agree that, you know, there is good and bad people from all walks of life, tattoos or no tattoos. It's probably easy to figure out that I'm on the pro tattoo <laughs> in uh, in golf side, but I am also being such a passionate golfer. I do understand um, tradition and, and things like that, and I am all about etiquette and uh, dress code, you know, um, I'm more than happy to uh, abide by dress code, but I really don't think it matters whether you have tattoos or not. I can understand that um, they don't want people to not be dressed in attire appropriate for golf. And um, having played with the guys uh, yesterday, I'm pretty sure they can agree that I didn't look like I possibly stood out that much by having uh, tattoos on my arms. Yeah, so it is a funny one. I I understand you know, they want people to look a certain way, but at what point does that hinder the, for lack of a better term, the growth of the game, people getting into golf? Um, you know, I would quite happily take anyone to a golf course anytime. I'd probably almost cancel work for it. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, does that make me a bad advocate for golf because I have tattoos on my arms and, and legs? I don't think so. Um, well, it, it's a bit sad. Outdated be pretty outdated um rule these days wouldn't it roscoe like i mean tattoos full arm sleeves and leg sleeves are pretty prevalent um around society and especially through sport i mean you look at all the soccer players the footy players even cricket players um uh and even golfers you know have uh have some pretty um uh, so high, you know full covered um tattoos so and it's just everywhere in society now as dan said it's it's no longer, um, I don't think, a, a mark of like, hey, you, you know, you're a bad dude or you're, you're a bad person no. because you've got tattoos all over you. And I, I don't um, think the clubs said were trying to suggest that. You know, we've still got golf clubs out there that don't want you to wear black socks and black shoes, you know, for goodness sakes, in some well, some, some places. And and in credit to, to my club, you know, basically now it's like as long as it's not offensive. Whatever, whatever, that's whatever, the big thing. Yeah, whatever is on yeah. there, as long as it's not yeah. offensive and, you know, um, you know, I don't think you do any work that's offen- you know would be considered offensive. No, perhaps, that, but, no, and the and you know if you've got an offensive tattoo, well, that's going to be offensive. So it has to be, you know, we have to sh- shield that from people who might find it offensive. Um, so it is. I think, that is the that's the key there. I think the, but, I think you just hit that on the head. I think it it comes down to um to what's there, and yeah, we, well, it's not something that any any of us, when I speak of us, I mean myself and my colleagues that. We would even entertain the idea of doing offensive tattoos. Um, in my opinion, there, but they are mm. bad for the industry, um, and I wouldn't want to see. You know, I've I've got you know more than enough tattoos, um, and I wouldn't want to see an offensive tattoo on on anyone. I don't think offensive tattoos belong. Uh, you know, they, they they need to be visible at all, especially on a on a golf course. It's same as it would be no different to having something offensive written on your T shirt, which we all know, of course, is not something that is seen in a on a golf course either. So I think uh it needs to be more sort of 
based around that. Let's put it that way. Dan, we could keep talking for ages, but we'll, we will then end up keeping you here past midnight. Um, <laughs> but you do have to stay and talk about Teepsa because you are one of the uh, three of us that are here in the race for the you know the the race for the uh, Dubai, the CME Cup, the uh, Tour Championship of Teepsa. Um, you're part of it, Scott. Where are we at with uh, last week's rundown? There was uh, a few tournaments that we played, uh, not we played, that they were on. Where do we end up on the uh, the 3M? How do we, we go with our tipping? How did uh, – I'd never heard of the yeah. – I'd, so, I'd never heard of the guy that won. I hadn't heard of him. No, I do I do know a Lee Hodges, but not that Lee Hodges. Um, I, I yeah, hadn't heard of him either but uh geez it was a bit it was a bit boring wasn't it <laughs> i mean wire to wire and uh, winning by what you know seven or however many won by but uh to be honest mate i didn't i didn't uh watch a lot of it but like kept track of the scores and whatnot but it just was a fairly kind of flat um tournament from what i could see i don't know how these guys went in the teepster i mean i do know but uh do you <laughs> Yeah, no, they had both. You had Blakey and uh, Dan go. No, they bummed out. Uh, bummed but I, out. But I had uh, T10 Emiliano Grillo. Um, you made up some ground, Roscoe. I did make up some ground. Uh, it was much to my surprise that I had Emiliano Grillo because no, no offense to Emiliano Grillo, but I did go to change him out and I didn't hit the pick now button. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad I did accidentally didn't change him out because I was going to go for Cam. Uh, Cam Young and uh, Cam Young missed the cut and I actually thought I'd changed it to Cam Young but uh, when I logged on and I told you uh, Scott that I'd flip-flopped on my choice yeah and then we you checked you sent me a tip we checked a flip-flop I said no no Mate, what I'm are you talking about you're on, I was, you're on I was still on the Griot train um, which was great but being on the Griot train made me um, watch the, the leaderboard and what I liked about the leaderboard was my boy Marty Laird uh, just uh Turned on a minus seven on the last day to finish uh, T2. He did, didn't he? 17 under. So he came from uh, the depths, uh, taking out top Scott honours. But um, as Aussies, you know, we were all about uh, Bads.com. Seeing at Bads.com at T7 there, uh, he just continues to play decent golf. And um, it's great to see. It's great to see. He had six of his kids there, uh, the whole family were there. And I think he was pretty happy with uh, the performance uh, all in all. What did you, uh, yeah. you, you, you were bought hey, quick, the, quick the little side. Quick yeah. little side bit, side note on Bads. Quick little quiz. Um, if I tell you that uh, Adam Scott has won $68 million in prize money in his career, how much do you reckon Aaron Badley has won? Is this, a nearest, up? is this the nearest to the pin? This is the nearest to the pin, yep. I'm going to say oh, 42. Mm, it's more than I said. Yep. Dan? 24. I'm going even lower. Yeah, I would have said in the 20s. Yeah. Yeah, there's 23. Good 23. guess, Dan. Yeah, 23. There's still a lot of coin for a guy who's won, I think he's won five times or something, but they're all, all been kind of lower events. But anyway, not not bad money for uh, for bads. And did you know also he was born in the US? I think I did know that. That's not something yeah. that sticks to the front, frontal lobe of my memory banks, but um, I think. Born in that, Lebanon, New yeah, Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, uh, not obviously, but um, as those of us that follow the mental mastery space, uh, that's probably where Jamie started his um, whole mental mastery career was working with Baz.com out at uh, Churnside Park or Croydon out that way where they both were playing golf together and uh, got together. And, you know, I think Jamie uh, still stays in contact with uh, Baz to this day. Cam Davis uh, on T10. 
Uh, any other notables there um, in the in the top fifteen sort of rundown? A few names that we like so, to talk about. Yeah, Roscoe on Cam. So he he actually went from seventy seventh on the uh, FedEx rankings to 69th so he's <clears throat> that was a great week for him um he knew that he had to put in a good show and he did to to get inside that top 70 so he's got to go and uh play well again this week at Wyndham to um to stay inside that top 70 but he, he was one of the probably the big mover of people around that top 70 mark and um had a few other guys that uh, that came down. Gary Higo came down from 78th to 72nd, so he's right around it this week. Um, and uh, who else? So, yeah, uh, Austin Eckrock went backwards actually, but um, but yeah, no. It's, it, you know, for me, mate, it's more interesting looking at this top 70 this week and and next just to watch those guys. It's uh, it's it's on the line, you know. They're, they're either going to make the playoffs or they're not, and then they've got to go and play in the fall series, I think, to uh, maintain their status. So, um, JT was uh, he went backwards um, <laughs> last week, unfortunately, and not yeah. another um, not a very good week. He's now 79th, so. Um, He's struggling, and then our very own Adam Scott. He's in the field. We'll talk about him for Wyndham, but uh, he, he's currently at eighty-first, so he's got to go and have a great week this week to make it into the playoffs and continue that streak of never missing the FedEx playoffs. Yeah, it's it's almost unthinkable to think that Adam Scott could potentially miss it, but uh, yeah, that's um that's the way of the world. Uh, that back at that uh, leaderboard there, a couple of um, People that sort of stand out that we like to sort of call out. Killer Keith Mitchell, T5, not a bad week for him. Big tone, mm. big tone, not the greatest final round. Um, you know, we we're looking maybe tone uh, winning this thing, but no, it didn't happen. Uh, yeah. And the other one that we always talk about was uh, Zach Blair, T13, just uh, turning out another final round, um, seven under. Pretty, pretty good for the old bloke. He's not that old, but uh, and mate, he's been on a medical exemption, right? So he's um, he, he's had the opportunity to win his card back of being out of after being out of the game for so long with injury, coming back this year, and he's managed to do that. So um, I think he gets back to kind of full status next year. So he's had a he's had a great year working towards that goal, and um, yeah, T thirteen had minus seven in that last round. Um, a couple of a couple of really low scores in that minor, that that last round to uh, bump a few people up the leaderboard. Uh, Alex Noren making a final late push for uh, Ryder Cup, um, you know, consideration as well. T thirteen. Now, yeah, Teepster, Teepster. Let's go to the Teepster. Let me find the uh, Teepster rundown here. As you're bringing that up, Roscoe, yes. I know the the two guys on uh, with us um, both missed the cut. How many times? You guys are a fair way out in front. I mean, you're not uncatchable, that's for sure. But uh, how many times have you guys had duds? Like, how many times have you missed the cut this year? You go, Blakey. Uh, I've missed the cut nine times, including the first three, the first three tournaments of Wow Teepster for 2023. I had missed cuts, and nine nine in total, and a no pick as well. I, okay. I don't know entirely for me. I think I think I've had six rough, roughly. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but uh, yeah, and haven't missed a, a pick yet. So, um, who, yeah. who have your wins been, Dan? Who have you who have you picked up on the bank with? Because you're you're sitting at second, so you're on. Um, seven. I actually, I don't I don't know, but if you give me a sec, I can definitely find out. 
Oh, uh, I'll take over that question. Yeah, I, you take over that you one. Are, you are the leader, sorry. You're on just a, top of mind, yeah, isn't it, Blake? Yeah, no, your records. It's, yeah. it's quite funny. I, while I was listening to Dan, I was also looking at some of my statistics just to actually see who I've got left to pick. And well, that's where it comes That was my next question. I wouldn't really say that I've uh, picked all the – I've tried to leave them for the end, but, you know, someone like John Rahm, I got a miscut with John Rahm. Yeah, I got a miscut with Sam Burns. I got a miscut with – Ryan Fox just on the weekend. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't all happen for you, all, uh, uh, you know, all when you want it to happen. But my, I, when I started sort of, you know, jumping from 70th to to 50th, uh, Cam Young, I got him at second in the WGC Dell match play. Now, I was looking through this and I was thinking, it's not just about your wins or your, it's also if you place high enough, and someone like a Wyndham Clark or, a, um, you know, the bloke um, who won on the weekend, which Minneapolis paper said, a Minneapolis paper released a breaking news. Golfer no one has ever heard of blows out no-name competition at Minnesota's PGA Tour event. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was their so if no If no one picks a winner yeah, and, uh, and takes the cash and your yep. guy comes 10th, you know, and you're kind of the second or highest ranked um, pick, then that's a good, that's a great result. You've probably, that, you've, you've that's probably right. done that a couple of times. Yeah. That That's right. So I, my wins, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, uh, Tony for now, I did two weeks in a row where I got winner back to back. Um, I got Brooks Kepka at the PGA and uh, Dan and I were talking yesterday about, you know, you got to try and pick those live guys when they come back. But, you know, you picked mm. Dustin Johnson at the Open Championship and he missed the cut. So that's what I did. Yeah. You still, you still got to, you know, get lucky. It, it really is just getting lucky. My other win was uh, a really awesome win for me because it came from the cloud was Victor Hovland. I think he was mm. 17th uh, on, when he went to bed on Saturday night. And then I just I picked Sip Straker out of out of the blue um, the other day. So uh, yeah. you, you just you just got to get lucky. When I picked Scotty Scheffler um, for the came fifth for the uh, U.S. <laughs> Open, I think I've picked him for the U.S. Open, and he came third, and Rory came second, and Wyndham Clark came first. No one picked Wyndham Clark. So exactly mm. what you're saying, Scotty, is that the difference between um, Scotty Scheffler's money and Rory McIlroy's money isn't as much as yep. between Rory McIlroy and Wyndham Clark, who no one picked. So you've just uh, you just got it's pure luck. You've just really got to get lucky. You know, the yep. the one and done is a great thing as well because you can't pick that person later on. And then this whole new concept this year of the elevated events. Some of those people at the start of the year were like, "Oh, well, I'll pick some good players that." probably wanted to leave for a uh, an elevated again they uh, event and they got stuffed over um yep. so you know you just you just got to get lucky uh, a few times so who, who have you got left Blakey oh, if you if you don't mind disclosing you know I'm not sure I uh, I'm not sure <laughs> I even know who's uh, in the top 10 but I, I've used Xander I've used Patrick uh, Scotty John um, Ricky uh, I haven't used Rory yet, so well, that's a good I'll, one. I'll, I'll pick Rory. One. Yeah, but then again, you'll probably yeah, choke. So you hate him. <laughs> 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 uh, that's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 
No, I, I mean, I'll, I'll pick him one day. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, I mean, he won the thing last year, didn't he? I can't remember who won last year. Yeah, he did. He yeah, won he a lot for us. Yeah, little yeah. bit, Blanky. So, yeah. uh, so I'll leave it. Yeah, <laughs> just can't get that major over the line, can he? Oh, poor fella. I feel so yeah. sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> how much is he in the career money? How much is he sitting on already? About eighty million. Um, have to be at least just sure. be just just be this year, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Who have you got left, Dan? Oh, uh, I don't. I actually don't re- don't really know. I, I, just right. looking at it, I had seven seven cuts missed. Uh, I had uh, winners. I had uh, Max Homer at the Farmers. Yep, that's I a good had, one. Scotty Scheffler at the Players, uh, John Rahm at the Masters. So as you can already see, not many left. I, I yeah. picked Ricky. I had Ricky at the Rocket, uh, and that I think that gets me there with winners. Um, so they just I've just managed same deal just to pick the right person at the right week with the uh, similar similar strategy to Blakey and the fact that you just sort of trying to pick guys that'll get it done where the earnings are larger. Um, but yeah, a few of the guys, Jason Day did okay for me. Um, yeah, there's a few guys, most of the guys that got cut, uh, Colin Morikawa got, yeah, it's a bit, bit yeah. wasted. Um, Cam Davis didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick let me down. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's a few guys in the last couple of weeks. I've sort of been a little more strategic with who I'm picking based on earnings, but there's not a there's not a whole lot of people left. I was hoping um, Justin Thomas would find some form, um, but he's just kind yeah. of on a on a bit of a slump. Scott, do you want to do you want to have a little bit of a rundown of who I've got left? Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah. I was just waiting for the right moment, Roscoe. Yeah, who have you got left? In. I've got Kyle Westmoreland. Still okay. Yeah, yep. I've got um, Nick Watney still available. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got Callum Tarran available. Um, who else have I got? Yeah, I've uh, I've got Will Zalatoris still left. Oh, okay. excellent. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, I've got my favourite, my, one of my personal favourites, and we've personally given him um, probably more points in the uh, the uh, player incentive scheme or whatever it is. I've got Austin Smotherman. Available. No, Smotherman. <laughs> Smotherman. Should have picked him the other day, Roscoe. Yeah. Smotherman's still available. I've got Kyle Reefers. Uh, Reifers, Reefers. I'm not sure if it's EI or IE, but uh, Kyle Reifers available. Doc Redmond's still available. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Augusto Nunez. I love the uh, Spanish name. So I've got Augusto Nunez. Um, still available. Yeah, I've got. Okay. Good, I've, got, I've got all the good ones to choose from. Going. So in, you're saying yeah. it's still wide open, Roscoe? If anyone's oh, got any uh, any good names to hold on to for the for the uh, the last two events, you could be you could be in uh, in, in with a show. But it's also me. worth knowing, Sorry, Roscoe. No, so I did find out that the bonus money in that uh, tour championship. Um, we were talking about it last week. So the bonus money, the 15 mil bonus, does not count towards Teepster. Um but the uh, the rest of the prize packet does so um, so yeah. But I mean, you got Wyndham this week, um, uh, you know, lower event. Um, it's about eight million dollars or something like that. And then the next three are twenty million dollar purses. So um, what's the winner take home in those? Three point eight or something these days, right? Three point six or three point eight. Three point three point six. Eighteen. Um, so uh, so I mean, yeah. I mean, I reckon if you yeah. 
if you're on Any, eight, if you're on eight million right now, yeah, even if you're on eight million right now, you've still got a high chance. Um, if you've if you've left a couple of players for yourself that perform, you know, they've got to be in that top thirty in the last. If you if you haven't yeah. got anyone in the, I don't last know if I'm going to have too many in the top thirty left, yeah, mate. Well, like, you, you might screw yourself in that one. You might be on a rifers. Uh, yeah. We should we should crack on and just finish off talking about last week's events and then get on to talking about uh, this week's events and then and then uh, wrap it up and let these guys uh, head off to their to their homes. Yep. So uh, last week's event we were talking talked about that. Uh, what, what was the other event? We had the obviously the women's major. We had the Amundi uh, Evian Championship won by um, Celine Boutier. Now. I think Celine Boutier yep. winning her home home open um, home major uh, might have been a surprise to some people in the golfing landscape media, but not to us down here in Australia because we've been on the Celine Boutier train for a long time since she won the Vic Open in maybe 2019. David, was it 2019? No, maybe? it was earlier than that. Earlier than that, maybe 18, uh, when she just stormed home and won uh, the thing there and beat. Uh, Maybe she beat uh, maybe Minji. I haven't. I don't have it um, looked up here. But uh, so we've known her for a while. But uh, it's great to see her, and she's just rocketed into um, Solheim Cup contention. She was probably already in there, mm. but uh, it was great. Any anything else stand out in the uh, Evian for you, uh, Scotty? Well, I mean, yeah. As you were touching on Celine, first French winner, so that's great for that uh, that event. Um, she was the only player all week to be sub seventy. So. Um, clearly the standout um, was pretty stacked leaderboard. There was a lot of big names, you know, right down through the top 15, top 20. But I think the biggest story out of out of the, the week was um, was what Carlotta Saganda um, being DQ'd for, well, for signing an incorrect score or not signing a scorecard um, after getting penalised. Was it one or two strokes, Blakey, um, for slow play? I think uh, the rules official said that she had taken 52 seconds to play a shot. Um, she argued that she didn't take that long and refused to sign her card. So she got, uh, for you know, she had a seven on her card. She she put a five. She should have had a seven. She refused to sign it and got DQ'd. But that's right up your alley, Blakey. You love that stuff, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I've refereed. And firstly, uh, you were right, Ross. It was 2019. I shouldn't have doubted you, Celine Boutier. And... Nice purse there, one point uh, one million. They were playing for US, and she won one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. And you know, and now she's uh, there was just a trampoline effect to her winning the Evian. Uh, but uh, Carlotta Saganda, Saganda, um, I've refereed her a couple of times. She is a slow player. I can guarantee you that there is no two ways about it. One of the slowest on that LPGA tour, and they have an interesting sort of system. Um, the LPGA's pace of play policy where they don't necessarily uh, uh, time you uh, per shot. It's an overall time for the hole. So it's how long you take overall for the hole. So if it was a, I can't remember what the last hole that she played was, whether it was a part, if it was a par four, um, she might've had, um, bar a, a tap in, you don't count the tap in, um, but bar a tap in, uh, it add, it will add up to say three minutes thirty or something like that. I, I don't know the exact numbers, and so you if you take a minute thirty on your tee shot, 
then you've only got 25 seconds on each um, shot after that. But if you take 25 seconds on your tee shot, you could have a minute and 20 on your putt. So her taking 52 seconds on her putt meant she'd taken too much time on her previous shots. And they have this, first of all, they warn the group. So the group, uh, if the group's out of position early on, they'll go, okay, here's your official warning. Uh, again, this is slightly different to uh, the men's tours. Um, and even the men's tours have a couple of different um, pace of play policies, as we, as we saw recently with uh, Lib Golf, who go straight to a penalty as well. But uh, the LPGA, they give the official warning to the group. And then uh, if the group hasn't made up any time, they, uh, let no, they it's let known that they are now on the clock. And, I mean, they, these guys got put on the clock uh, pretty late in their round. You know, it shouldn't mean that if you've got one or two holes left, you should just be able to take as much time as you want. So they got put on the clock, and then, as I said, she must have taken too long accumulatively, uh, and and thus she was penalised. And they don't have this warning penalty. It's a... Uh, two shots, bang. And uh, she didn't think that uh, it was it was right. She um, disagreed, as you said, Scotty, and uh, signed for a five, and they DQ'd her because uh, she'd signed for the wrong school and knowingly had signed for the wrong school. So uh, she just needs to hurry up, seriously. She can come out on Twitter and say that uh, the referee was wrong, but Every referee that's been a refereed her knows that she's slow. Well, uh, imagine being in a rush somewhere with her and Blandy. It's bloody painful. <laughs> Where did you referee uh, Carlotta Chiganda? Uh, the uh, Oz Open, oh, yeah. uh, the Women's Open in Adelaide. I was there for five years. Uh, I think, and uh, think she played nearly every um, every time um, there. So. Yep, she was. It was just a constant. Oh, have you have you put, given the warning to that group yet? Okay. Well, uh, Aussies in the field. Uh, we didn't fare better than uh, a T sixteen with uh, Steph Kiriakou and Minji Lee. Uh, Steph Kiriakou finishing the weekend at sixty eight sixty eight. Uh, other Aussies in the field to make the cut. Sarah Kemp uh, finished with uh, sixty nine. Finished minus one for the event. And I think maybe uh, we Karish Davison. Uh, I say we Karish Davison because she's really Scottish, um, but uh, she represents Australia. Um, great young lady, plus six. Uh, Lydia Co from New Zealand, and uh, a couple of the young women missed the cut. Hannah Green and um, also Grace Kim missed the cut, but they will bounce back. They move over to Scotland this week uh, for the women's Scottish Women's Open, the free group at uh, Dundonald Links. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, the other event that I spent a little bit of time watching because it was on a, sort of my shift uh, was the men's senior open uh, at Royal Porth Call in Wales. Uh, a couple of things stood out for me. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched any of it, but A, Lynx Golf continues to get the interests of the golfing population. People love Lynx Golf. And the conditions, uh, the conditions that these guys played the last round in were absolutely horrendous. 
and the scoring that they were able to achieve in the last round was absolutely, for many of them, amazing. In particular, Alex Chaker, uh, who won the thing, and then uh, Patrick Harrington, and I spent a lot of time watching those two guys just going hammer and tong at it, and it was just phenomenal golf, um, seeing both of them come unstuck and then save par or save a you know clutch bogey or striping it down the fairway. It was just great to see, and the wind was... I, don't even know how fast it was, but it was like eight club wind sort of thing. It was horrendous conditions, raining, and uh, it just looks terrible. But they they battled on, and it was sensational. And um, I think uh, I think they all earned a lot of respect of the golfing uh, public um, for battling it out and playing so well. Did any of you uh, happen to catch Royal Porth call? I saw a bit of the footage, Roscoe. It looked horrendous. Um, wasn't there it was like some silly amount of players that were number of players that were over eighty that shot over eighty on Sunday? Um, like seventeen or twenty players or, or something like that shot over eighty on Sunday. And uh, I saw footage of one. Can't remember who the player was, but uh, it, it was a. I, I mean, the putt was no more than a foot, and uh, and the wind, you, you know, pushed it off course, and I think he missed the hole. Um, from inside a foot, so it was uh, it was pretty dramatic to see. Uh, a very own Richard Green, you know, the very first hole uh, on his final round, and he was somewhat in contention. Um, anything could happen. Yeah, he four putted the first green, four, you know, <laughs> and from from nowhere just whacked out a four putt, and that was happening. Colin Montgomery had eighty eight uh, on the last day, but um, the the great players, you know, shone where it counted, and uh, hats off to Alex Chaker. Um, a German uh, golfer played on the LPGA tour for a long time, and uh, I'm not sure what his wins, uh, career wins, were when he was on the PGA tour. But uh, he picks up a senior major, and uh, congratulations to him. Royal Porth Call. If you are playing Lynx golf in uh, the British Isles, put Wales on your list. Uh, great scenery, um, very small country, obviously attached out there next to England, but um, great Celtic nation and uh, some very, very good links golf out there and Royal Porth Call should be on the list. And um, I would just put it out here that, you know, as these tours continue to evolve, the more golf that uh, the DP World Tour can schedule and play in links conditions, the better it's going to be for the golfing viewership. I just think we want to see more golf played. Maybe not in those conditions, but played on links courses. I know I do, and I'm pretty sure the four sitting here in front of me would uh, would agree. Tell me I'm wrong. You are not wrong. Not wrong? I will not tell you you're wrong. Okay. No. Well, there Great we go. Great to see. Uh, DP World Tour, you heard it here first. I think, I think, I hope, I think, I hope, um, you know, when all this schedule for next year is, is mapped out, that I can't say that there's going to be a links golf swing uh and I'm not the first person to say that. I have said it a number of times on this very podcast. But I think we'll see some changes in the events. And I think the DP World Tour, by the sounds of things, might actually come out of next year okay. I bumped into Dave Michaluzzi today. And not that we talked about um, you know what his thoughts were on all that, but it was great to bump into the young man, obviously fresh back off the plane from playing in a couple of major championships, uh, the PGA in America, and then he's just come back from the Open. And... You know what? He's down there grinding. He played in the uh, the game today with uh, all of the young mm. Australian hopefuls playing in the game that Jeff Ogilvie and Mike Clayton put on. Uh, nice. He went went down there, shot five under there, finished up, came straight back to the golf club, was out there grinding balls. And you know what he was doing? You know what he was doing? Uh, and he was using 
training aids. He was using training aids, the very types that we sell in, in the golf shop, uh, tour striker training aids, just, just to keep working on, on the things that he's working on. So it was great just to catch up with him and, uh, you know, a brief chat about uh, his time over in the UK. And uh, the one thing that I took out of the conversation was, was like, he's, he was just blown away by how far um, all these players that he had practice rounds with, you know, he had practice rounds with Phil, John Rahm, mm. several other uh, golfers, and he was just blown away by how far and how fast their swing speed and how far they're hitting it, how high they're hitting it. So, um, yeah, I think, he, I think he's working on some speed and all that sort of stuff, but he's looking forward to next year and getting back to Europe and, um, you know, putting in a good show and just working out how next year looks for him. So it was great to catch up with Dan Bicalusi. No, I didn't ask him to come on the podcast. There's about 87 other podcasts that he's been on. He's probably over podcast, but, you know, he's just down there at the club uh, hitting some golf balls and uh, it was great to catch up with him. Now, we move – anything about last? Anything else about last week we need to talk about, Scotty? Mate, the only one – just really quickly, we had a uh, we had a Kiwi. It's for Blakey's um, – uh, uh, for Blakey here. But we had a Kiwi involved in the US Junior Amateur. Um, uh, actually lost on the final hole. Uh, unfortunately, went down to Brian Kim. But, uh, yeah, Joshua Bay, Bay um, lost uh, two and one. Uh, but it looked like it was a great battle. Um, lead changed several times throughout the match. Uh, but the young Kiwi needed to win on the last to uh, force it to extra holes, and I think he kind of pushed it uh, a little hard on his second into the par five, and, um, and and made a bit of a mess of that hole, and it ended up conceding it. But he was uh, at least he was he was you know pushing hard to um, to try and make eagle or birdie there to um, push it to extra holes. But good to see a young Kiwi involved in that kind of competition, and uh, one to keep an eye on for the future, I imagine. Blakey, do you know aware of that young man? Uh, I've heard of him. I, that's about all I know about um, Josh. Okay. Well, this weekend's golf uh, is fast approaching. Don't forget to get your tips to tips in. You've got about twelve, maybe twenty-four hours to uh, to do that. And uh, we've got the Wyndham Championship. So that's the last event of the regular PGA Tour season before we get into the Tour Championships. Um, the Wyndham Championship is played at uh, Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro. Uh, was that North? Was it North Carolina? Um, North Carolina. Yep. On it's a Donald Ross course, so you know, Golden Age architecture. I don't know too much about Sedgefield. It looks great. It looks like a Donald Ross from what I can see. It's past seventy seven thousand one hundred and thirty one yards. The greens will be stimping at about twelve and a half. So, you know, they'll be reasonably pacey. Um, Plenty of fairway, plenty of rough, um, 52 bunkers on the courses, five water hazards, so not too many, and especially not like last week. Uh, it's on clay, and um, what have we got? Bermuda grass, so, yeah, Bermuda grass is like cooch grass for those of us that play a bit of sandbelt golf at uh, Spring Valley like you guys did yesterday. Um, yeah, I don't know too much else about the course. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's here all the time. But uh, what are your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, no, it looks like Roscoe's the type of course that, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily reward the big bombers. It's, uh, as you say, it's past 70, so it's not too not too long, but it's, uh, but um, from what I could see, it's going to reward those that are hitting fairways and hitting uh, off the short grass into green. So um, I don't know if there's too many big bombers in the field um, this week anyway, but uh, yeah, look for someone that is pretty sharp with the irons, um, hitting into greens and can find the fairway um, off the tee um, and yeah again mate that around the the 70 cut line I think is is the story to watch and and um, 
and keep your eye on. We've got some Aussies, as we touched on earlier, that are right in that mix and and, uh, have the chance to secure their spot or let it go. So Scotty and uh, and Cam Davis are up there. I'll be keeping an eye on them. Um, JT will be an interesting one to keep an eye on from the 70 cut line, but also the the Ryder Cup um, team configuration. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, usually about, I don't know, I think Tom Kim won it last year with 20 under. So uh, 15 to 20 under is probably going to be the mark. Um, and, uh, yeah, getting ready for the week after that, maybe is when it really gets serious. Uh, who would you pick? You got to you got to go early with a pick. I, I'm I'm going to go with uh, Scotty Adam Scott um, to uh, get it done, mate, and hopefully, um, yeah, with the pressure on, he can stand up. I don't think he wants to lose that record of missing out on on a FedEx playoffs um, for the first time since they've been around. I think he's the only player to have never missed one, um, and so I, I'd like to see him dig deep and uh, and get the job done there. Okay. Uh, Dan, uh, if I'm conscious of your time. You're sitting in a car park outside of a drama golf store in Preston. Um, that is no worries. No, but I, I, I want to I get your tip if you've if you've been thinking about a tip in the time that you've been listening. And uh, if, if Dan, if you want to hang around and we're going to talk about Liv, uh, we're going to talk about the Scottish women's and then sign off. If you want to uh, yep. head home, um, Sign off, mate. Sign off, mate, and, and head home if you want to hang around. Hang around. Either way, it's a pleasure to have you here, and it's been a pleasure to talking to you. But who's your tip for this weekend? Thank you. Uh, I, I haven't picked mine for for Teepster yet. Oh, he's, gone, um, he's, gone, he's gone all secret. He's gone all secret. No, no. no I'll, I I do agree with Scotty. I'd like to see Scotty dig deep and and get it done. I was also kind of thinking Justin Thomas. Maybe he'll dig deep, but I don't know. I think he's a bit of a a bit lost at the moment, I think. Um, so for me, I'll be looking at like even people like Aaron Rye um, at the moment, and uh, eh, maybe Shane Lowry. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a fair chance I'll hang on to Shane Lowry until well, maybe for a little bit longer. Um, well, mate, I'm going to do you a favour, and I'm going to I'm going to let you know that I don't think Shane Lowry is going to be playing after this week. So uh, yes, that's true. I want to use him uh, this week. Well, I don't know if I will want to use him, but I just think oh, I've got a feeling about Shane Lowry this week. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Where's Shane Lowry sitting? He's 76. Yeah, he's, he's a bit out of it. 76. So he, I mean, he needs to basically win, I guess. Yeah. yeah Top three exactly. or four. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. So, well, he's one of the big names in the field. Uh, yeah. You know, along with Scotty, you know, you've got some of the career money exemption winners in there: Duffner, Johnson, Sabat, the real Rory, Rory Sabatini, Texas Walker, Jimmy Walker, um, and the rest. You know, it does feel like a Russell Henley type of week? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably probably right. Yeah. Uh, Aussie wise, um, oh, Ludwig. Ludwig is not an Aussie, but Ludwig's in. Um, yep. Yeah, Harrison Endicott, Harrison Aaron Badley, Cam Percy are the other Aussies. Foxy, Hoygaard, are they all uh, are they alternates? Are they in? Are they in or are they alternates? Are they or are they in? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I didn't think Foxy was in there. Foxy was but, in. Uh, I tell you who is Roscoe? Is Rory Sabatini. Rory Sabatini. Yeah, he's, he's in. He's in. Definitely in the career money exemption. Wonder watch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he can. He can still play. Uh, we, we love bagging, but he can still play that fella. Um, 
Okay. All right, Blakey, you got a tip? Uh, yeah, I was thinking Eric Cole. Oh. Okay. The man who wears the joggers. Because oh, I've never seen what he looks like. I, I don't know. I just saw Eric Cole. I, was, I actually was going to go uh, last year's winner, but he's not even playing. So no. I'll, just go, I'll just go Eric Cole. Uh, well, I'm going to reserve my tip because I actually officially can't call it a tip because it's usually a guess. So uh, I'm going to save the, <laughs> save the viewing population from a guess because I actually have zero idea. I don't know who I've still got left. I'm pretty sure I've used all the big guns. And as I joked there before, I've got all the no-names left. But uh, who knows? So I'm, I'm going to have to guess a little bit more strategically. What else have we got? We've got the Scottish Women's this week. Uh, it moves to Dundonald. It's co-sanctioned LAPGA and LET. Uh, it's the event in between two majors. So next week we move uh, to the British Women's Open. It is called the British Women's Open in this. Not, it's not the Open. It's the British Women's, uh, which is going to be at... Um, I've just gone blank. I had it in my mind there a second ago. Uh, I'll come back to that. But it's at Dundonald, which uh, this time last year pretty much... I was walking the fairways of Dundonald and playing it by yeah. myself out there on my lonesome, uh, watching the trains go past, looking out to uh, the Isle of Arran across uh, the Air Peninsula there, and uh, it's just a, it's just an amazing part of the world. That Dundonald links for those tune in and watch it. Um, it's a great field. It's an awesome field. Yeah, yep. It's a great golf course. It's a it's a new link, so it's a it's a new golf course. You know, maybe I think it's about fifteen years old, but it's still fairly fairly new in terms of old links. Um, on that Ayrshire sort of coast there where there's about 20 links. You can get a train to them all. The train line runs down past uh, Dundonald links in between Dundonald and Western Gales. Uh, and it, it is a links course, but it's a mo- uh, modern modern links. So the fairways are a little more subtle in their hills, humps and hollows. The greens are a little larger and uh, a little more, I guess, uh, curated in terms of their shaping there, not that traditional link sort of shaping. A few less um, dunes, but it still is a very, very, very good course. I've got some po- photos there, so it might be time I pull out some Dundonald drone photos for the audience. Um, thoughts on, on who we might see salute there, Scott? Uh, well, we've got, uh, in terms of Aussies, we've got Minji, Stephanie, Kurikau, Kempi, Karis Davison in the field. Um, and then as far as the other uh, the other entrance go, mate. I think it's just some kind of regular regular um, faces um, and a few of the big names, I think, are uh, taking a break or getting getting ready, you know, resting for next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, looking forward to watching that one. Uh, last year's winner, Ayaka Furue. So this time last year mm. we hadn't really talked uh, too much about Ayaka Furue, but uh, mm. certainly we have uh, this year. And so last year was her first win. So uh, I'm pretty sure she's defending uh, the previous winners, Ryan O'Toole, Stacey Lewis, uh, Min Jung Her, and uh, Arya Jutanagan, uh, all previous winners of this event. So, um, yeah, I... I'm not sure if it'll be, you know, it should be on some TV. So uh, if you want to get a bit yep. more of your Scottish uh, links fix, as I like to do, uh, tune in late hours. Um, well, no, it'll actually be on reasonable hours. It'll be sort of 10 o'clock to sort of 2 o'clock sort of thing. Um, you'll be able to see a bit of Dundonald links. Great big clubhouse, great place to stay, bit of a bit of a destination. If you want to stay down that way, it's a, it's like one of those um, cabins on site and great fair, you know, all the facilities that you want. Um Okay, and what else? We've got um, we've got a live golf event this week. We do very quickly, Roscoe. Oh, before sorry. that, we've got the Indonesian Open, which uh, friend of the program and um, 
co-host recently, Tommy Powhorn, is uh, is heading over for so um so played golf with Tommy last Wednesday and I think he shot three or four under with his eyes closed around Spring Valley and um as a bit of a tune up I was on a plane Monday and he's over there so it'd be good to um good to keep an eye on how TPH goes. So he shot three or four under with his you know in a practice round. What did what was your takeaways from playing with uh, Tommy uh, for the first time? Well, I mean, we we played with him in the pro am for the Vic Open as well. So uh, so that was that was the second time we've had a round with him. But um, yeah, watching him get around Spring Valley and kind of chatting to him. Uh, one of the things he, he talked about that he likes about Spring Valley is um, uh, he can kind of it's good practice for him to hit driver off the tee, you know, or in tight conditions. Because so I was asking him a lot, like, hey, would you normally hit driver there, or you know, what would you normally take off that tee? Because there was a couple of holes where I was surprised he was hitting driver, but he was he he, he talked about using the course as a as a basically a practice field for hitting driver into tight locations. And forcing him to be a bit um, a bit tighter there. So, um, so yeah, that and yeah, I mean, his his putter is 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 pretty unbelievable to be honest. To see his speed control um, uh, on no matter what length of part, like he was he was he was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was he's so chilled and casual. Like you're just kind of playing with a guy who uh, he had. I think he had three or four under, and, and Sid was with us. You know, shot two under, but. Um, as well, so some good golf um, being played, and I will not tell you my score because um, it doesn't matter. But the uh, but yeah, good seeing both those guys um, get around it. I do think Sid was trying a little bit harder on a Wednesday playing with Tommy Powell Horan and um, really kind of digging in uh, for the round, which is which I mean, it's great practice for him, isn't it? So um, so yeah, it was good good round and. Wouldn't surprise me if Tommy goes over there and uh, just um, has a great round in in good kind of warm conditions. He talked about how far the ball is going to fly in the in the uh, conditions over in Indonesia. So I think he was looking forward to muscling a few out there. So we've got a couple of Aussies in the field. Uh, some invitations. So Sam Brazel and Dean Lawson uh, invites. Uh, Order of Merit winners. Scott Hens in the field. Uh, then we've got um, previous order of merit. So we've got Todd Sinnott. Uh, who else have we got here? We've got uh, Ben Campbell from New Zealand. Uh, Terry Pilkadaris uh, comes into the category of medical or military exemption. I'm not sure that Terry Pilks has been on a military exemption, so he must be on a medical exemption. Uh, Josh Younger is back in. Uh, Marcus Fraser is a cumulative, obviously cumulative career money winner on the Asian tour. So Fraser's back out there. Good luck to you, Fraser. Haven't seen you at the golf club for a while, so he's probably been out there grinding. Uh, Jack Thompson, last year's um, winner of the uh, Asian Tour School, is playing. Tom Powhorn, of course, as we just mentioned. Uh, Nick Voke from New Zealand. Uh, Harrison Gilbert Wong. So Harrison Gilbert comes through the uh, Asian Development Tour. Young fellow plays out of Royal Melbourne. Fantastic, super young man. Uh, recently got married, hence the double bunger name, Gilbert um, and Wong. So that's his wife's name. And uh, Jack Murdoch. So that probably rounds out the Aussies in the field. Maybe Daniel Fox might get a, uh, a mention in there. And also Aaron Aaron Wilkin. Um, yeah, well, maybe no, maybe these these guys aren't in, but uh, yeah. Anyway, there's a, a list long of well, list of people who have exemptions, um, or, or waiting to get in. Uh, thoughts, Blakey? Yeah, I don't know the course too much, but uh, last year's winner, Gangajit Buller, uh, 
uh, you know, was uh, had a good score there um, and beat Rashid Khan and Steve Luton. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good one to get because they've had a bit of a break with the Asian Tour, a um, mm. few weeks off, and then they'll, they'll get started again now. And uh, then, as I said, I'll see them, most of them in uh, England and Scotland in two weeks' time. Couple Asian tour in England and Scotland. I, I like the sound of it. Um, it's uh, I'm gonna can't wait to see you over there, uh, Blakey. Where where are you playing in England and Scotland? Uh, so we're we're at Close House, which is uh, up in Newcastle. Lee, Lee Westwood is a ambassador for Close House. It's up uh, near Newcastle. We were up in Newcastle last year at uh, can't remember the name Spa. It was. Uh, Something Wood, sp- Woodhall, Woodhill. Spa, Woodhill Spa. That's it. Yep. Uh, two courses there, so we just played um, the main main one, and uh, and then it was the, <laughs> the the first week we're in England, and then the second week actually was the first live tournament down at London. Uh, so I was there for two weeks last year, but we're not doing that this year. We're going to St Andrews, and we're playing on the Torrance course at the Fairmont, uh, just out of St Andrews, about five minutes out. So uh, for the St Andrews uh, Bay Championship. There's a lot of live guys that have been announced into that. So uh, Burmeester, Grace, Matty Jones, uh, Shakara, Munoz, Danny Lee, Weisberger, they've all been um, confirmed as playing in that Fairmont um, tournament, St Andrews. Yeah. uh, Tommy Powell is in that as well. So it's a good field for him to be in and around. It's in there contract that they have to play at least one international series i think of course but, it is uh, patrick reed i think he just loves playing them so he just loves playing golf did you talk to tommy about I thought he wanted to play less golf no, no he, sorry he loves it <laughs> did you talk to tommy about uh going to scotland for that um when you play with him yeah yeah he was uh he's pumped he's playing in the the one in newcastle as well so um so he's away for a month now um, on the road for a month and, uh, yeah, really looking forward to to those events and talked a lot about that that Fairmont one. Um, I think he said he's, he's never actually been there, but he's never been to Scotland before. So, um, so yeah, good uh, field for him to be in amongst. Yeah, no, great experience. And he'll have another event in Scotland at the end of the year, the uh, Dunhill Links. Mm. Uh, now, Blakey, back to your field of expertise uh the last event for this weekend that um a lot of people will be watching is live golf over at um the greenbrier what do you know about the greenbrier event and how's that shaping up for your uh colleagues and i say colleagues because you are part of the live golf um fraternity and team how's it shaping up for the for those guys yeah well the greenbrier classic was on the pga tour for a fair while um it's at the Old White at the Greenbrier. Uh, one of my colleagues actually lives only about 90 minutes away, so he's pretty pumped that Live Golf's coming to his state. And it's quite interesting to see the previous winners of the Greenbrier, Greenbrier Classic uh, when it was on the PGA Tour. Uh, now, obviously, Live Golf. 2019, Joachim Neiman. 2018, Kevin Nah. 2015, Danny Lee. So, you know, there's three live golfers. Um, 
2014 was Angel Cabrera, but he is uh, under house arrest now, isn't he? In jail. And 2010 was Stuart Appleby. Um, he's not on Live Golf, but uh, he's an Australian, so I had to mention him. Uh, but yeah, three of the last four winners uh, are now on Live Golf. So they obviously know the course quite well and will enjoy playing there. Um, so, yep, they go from Greenbrier this week to play go and play New Jersey uh, next week. And then they have a bit of a break. I think it's about four weeks. Then go to Chicago, a couple more weeks break, and then they travel to Jeddah and back to Miami for the season ending. So uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's getting really good with the, the teams now. I think when I was last on, um, the teams, you know, those top five teams bringing a lot of competition between each other. And that's what we really want to see out of that. You know, the individual, we want it to sort of go a little bit down into the shadow and then we just start seeing the teams um, really concentrating on who's winning and, and how those are going. Okay. And and But uh, your Majestics, uh, they're not doing too well. No, my uh, Majestics boys aren't. So I'm going to throw to you, Blakey, and you can uh, give, us, give us your tip of individual and team. Who, who are you going to pick? Uh, I'll go with Cam Smith. Uh, he has to bounce back after the open disappointment. And the team, oh, it's hard to go past the four aces, but uh, you never know what's going to happen with Torquay and with Jochen Neiman. Knowing the course quite well, I'm going to say that Torquay are going to get up. Did uh, Jochen just get married? Was that him that just got married Some recently? One of the Torquay players get married recently? Possibly. Okay. Um, Not sure what you're talking about. Okay. Well, I don't mind that. Arranged marriage or no? (laughs) I don't mind that tip uh, with uh, Cam Smith. Um, See if he can finish off the job that he left behind at the last live event and and, um, get the next one up. And I think you're right. It's hard to go past the four aces. uh, uh, But maybe Torquay. I like like those two. Um, Plenty of talk around still around live and you know players not wanting to go back to the pga tour and you know we're probably going to leave a stuff whole heap of stuff on the table here in terms of the the monaghan discussion and the uh all of the other sort of stuff that continues to circle around as the next year's um plans and the merger between piff and pga tour and dp world tour continues to emanate and all of the stuff that's going on there's there's another podcast in that um, Scott, we might we might talk about that and we might uh, do one later on the week maybe. I'm not sure if we can get around to that, but there's a hell of a heap of stuff. Uh, I can see the red and blue lights flashing next to Dan there as he's in the car in the car park at Preston's. I'm, I want to get him home. Um, gents, it's been a long one. Uh, we've sort of had three podcasts in one. We've had Blakey talking about the Asian tour uh, school. Uh, we've had Dan giving us an insight into the world of tattoo and golf mania and uh and then our weekly show wrapping up everything but um that's what we've done that's how we do it uh if you've listened this long you are a dedicated my love of golfer and you are loving your golf as well so i hope you're playing well and uh we would do appreciate you listening scott i appreciate you jumping back on and filling in uh this co-host role and you're doing a great job and i really do appreciate it because i probably wouldn't turn up uh, if it wasn't for you uh without you um blakey thank you and uh, Dan, thank you. Scott, any final final sign-offs from you, sir? 
No, mate. Thank you for uh, for keeping it going. I know that there's a there's a ton of people out there that uh, that you know love listening to you every week. So um, uh, I'm just I'm just a little um, I'm just trying to help you get it out there every week. So uh, no, I appreciate you inviting me back every week. So no, no. Um, happy to keep helping, mate. It's been fun. I uh, you you drive me to to be better. So thank you. Um, where can people check you out if they want to check you out uh, even further on Instagram? How can we how can we get hold of you there? Oh mate, um, <laughs> yourself, uh, I've never been asked that before, Ross. It's it's it's, uh, it's well, a I lovely tag. lovely question. I tag um, Officer Carter. Yeah, yeah, you can tag me on the uh, post and and find me at Officer Carter. There's not much great content there at all, but um, if uh, yeah, that's where you'll find me. Uh, if you want to see if you want to see a picture of the ghost tree on the back of uh, Scotty's calf, well, that's where you have to go, Officer Carter, and you can see it there. Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to put up tonight, Roscoe, is a driver off the deck on the 17th at Spring Valley yesterday. It was actually pretty outstanding, so I will put that on there. Okay, tag that in, and I'll put that in the stories and uh, share that around. No problems, Blakey. Uh, you are a uh, social media phenomenon. You're the original OG. Um, you know growth guy in uh, in this team 16,000 followers on uh, YouTube on Golf Rules Questions 81 million followers on Instagram on Golf Rules Questions you provide a great Golf Rules service to the golfers of the world um, golf what's golf rule at golf rules dot questions on Instagram and golf rules questions on YouTube uh, yeah just search up golf rules questions if you ever want to know an answer about the rules of golf uh, and any videos about to drop? Uh, actually, yes. Uh, Henry and I did a couple down at Port Ferry. That's an outstanding venue. Uh, everyone should get there, get themselves down there for at least one game. Uh, and he's dropped it on his YouTube already, so we'll put a link in my Instagram to that, and then I'll probably drop it on my YouTube um, later next week sometime. But a uh, couple of controversial ones there. No free relief, of course. Okay, well, if you want to know more and uh, more about golf rules, talk to Blakey and then also podcast and also podcast with the great uh, wonderful asset to women's golf in the United States, Marcella. Um, what's that podcast called, Blakey? Uh, golf Rules School. It's a real basic uh, podcast for rules of golf. Uh, so if you just want to learn some real basic stuff, uh, Marcella and I go through that golf rules school. Dan. Still sitting out there in the car at Preston in the uh, mobile I am, podcast I am. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, mate. Uh, where can where, if people want to come and book you for a tattoo, um, other than having to book probably well in advance because it's that popular, uh, you're that popular, <laughs> um, especially after all the pump-up work we give you here on this podcast. Uh, w- where do we find you? Uh, Instagram is uh, Dan Maudsley underscore tattoo, or you can also find me on The Black mark tattoo um all all one word on instagram um website all that stuff same names that's it beautiful that's well if you want to see the great work that uh both dan and the other chap that we're talking about mick squires uh do and it's absolutely uh, mind-blowing stuff what they can create uh go and check it all out if you do or don't want a tattoo go and check it out because it's um fascinating work that these gents are able to cre- create creatively Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, It's been a long one, but I do appreciate your time. And we'll see you next time on the My Love of Golf podcast. We'll see you then. Bye.